This month on Now We Know. It's focused on the 13th Amendment that famously, you know, freed the enslaved people. However, there is that one little pesky clause that said, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Part that was shocking to me shocking lowercase s was the involvement of ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, helps build laws in the interest of corporations, one of them being Pfizer. I have the vaccine <laughs> in my body. Great. And I'm a Moderna girl, but still. like History is not just stuff that happens by accident. We are the product of the history that our ancestors chose if we're white. If we're Black, we're the product of the history our ancestors most likely did not choose. Yet here we all are together, products of that set of choices, and we have to understand that in order to escape from it. Kevin Gannon, professor of history at Grandview University. I'm Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. The monthly podcast where we unpack and repack our Black history as you related to the world of today. What didn't we learn? What do we want to learn? What do we need to revisit to establish the historical truth and not just what we were taught? We're here to learn and grow together as a community with the intention of bringing awareness to better our futures. So before we get started, I do think that it would be um, good to honor the Buffalo shooting and the victims, um, which is this senseless hate killing of 10 men and women in the Black community and wounding three others. So this happened on Sunday, May 15th. So the victims were Catherine Macy, Aaron Salter, Pearlie Young, Ruth Whitfield, Celestine Cheney, Hayward Patterson, Roberto Drury, Andre McNeil, Margus Morrison, and Geraldine Talley. The three wounded were Zaire Goodman, Jennifer Warrington, and Christopher Braden. And what's really sad about it, too, is that their age ranged from 20 years old all the way to 86. And for what reason other than pure hate? So before we, you know, get started too, I just wanted to check in and just tell me how you're feeling and and what you think about it. Yeah, it's um, the thing about the shooting that really gets me is that they were all going grocery shopping, which is a pretty basic activity that most people that are able to do themselves. Um, the idea that he allegedly drove several hours to find a specifically black neighborhood and their specifically black store in order to commit this crime is disgusting. And what it brought back to me was this dread that I felt uh, mostly in 2020 um, when there was just this overwhelming wave of acknowledging the terror that Black people face, you know, and it's not like it was news to me. Um, but I think part of us growing up or experiencing is like, okay, I know that I don't feel safe, but I can't necessarily put a name to what the danger is. It's like this invisible just air of whiteness that we're afraid of, or this violence that could be coming, but there's never a face to it. And that's terrifying in and of itself. But then when you think about just how true it is that we could die violent deaths just for being black 
We could be in the grocery store. We could be in bed. It's just, it's just for it's bringing existing. those back. Yeah. It's just existing. It's not like it's centered around something that you specifically did. Not that it should, but still like, that's a problem. It's, it's, um, it's sobering and it's, uh, I'm, I feel for all the families in the community and I remember what it was like here in St. Louis during Ferguson. And this is more people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is a, a massacre. Yeah. And I don't know what's next. So I really, I don't have any uh, optimism here to add, um, but it is hard and it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's just scary. And unfortunately, it's also familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you experience that news? And um honestly, I was I didn't connect in the same way instantly. Like it took time to truly understand. It was more like in passing, I remember my mom told me and I didn't, it didn't register with me. Um, I believe she mentioned it was, there was a shooting in Buffalo. Right. And so it's as sad as it is. And it's probably a telltale of how desensitized, um, maybe we've become as a society because there are mass shootings often. Um, it just was like, Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, I Here didn't understand again. the context that it was against our community and not yeah. that should matter more, obviously, regardless, it's, it's so horrible, but that adds another layer, um, of racial discrimination and, and racism and, um, to the point it's, it's a hate crime. Like there's no way to say it any differently. It's a hate crime. So yeah. that's where um then it's like sink in more of like good grief. Like, but in, at the same time, I think there's some of that desensitization that's come in as well, which feels weird to say because it's still disappointing and sadding and like what the hell reaction. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't, you know, mean to be insensitive and hopefully it doesn't come across that way. It's just kind of another like what are we going to do like how can we get this to change to to that in a note, tangible way to that note um the feeling that i was feeling is more so helplessness which i think mm -hmm. is desensitizing yourself to it is the medicine to that you know mm -hmm. so it's like we have to access it or deny it to access to us or what however it works but um it's kind of a means of survival at this point to pick and choose um, what we can even really dive into because this is just about identity. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's, I mean, there's literally nothing that in the way that it was done, it's not like you can, there's nothing that you can differentiate yourself from. This is very literally who you are at first glance. And that in and of itself is why their lives were taken. I hope that Buffalo is okay. Yeah. 
So I'm glad we started there, um, especially with the things that we're talking about as specific communities are attacked for specific reasons. And I'm interested to see how the rest of this plays out within the justice system, because I I don't know about you, but I, I immediately porcupine, I'm ready for whatever BS, like ever since George, or ever, actually ever since uh, George Zimmerman, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember where I was when I saw that George Zimmerman was good to go, you know, off to, to sign things, bags of Skittles or whatever for the rest of his life. I remember that feeling of, um, all of my tension from the moment that I found out about Trayvon's death until that just kind of collapsing in, like it felt like an implosion. It was like, what was this for? You know, what was all this pain and and thought for if there's no such thing as justice for a kid who is carrying a bag of candy and iced tea? Right. Like what happens if the person that is innocent had a weapon was trying to defend themselves. They're still innocent. They were carrying legal, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it uh, zaps you of all hope. And um, yeah, the, the justice system, (laughs) like Mm. it just happens to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We talked about what happens after the arrest with Dr. Charlene Taylor on real relatable Let's talk about what will get you arrested. We know the blatant ways people get locked up, but let Roe v. Wade get overturned and the person you love, who you want to marry or who you have married to the way you simply like to have sex will also get you thrown in the pokey. Let's start off this episode by playing a little game. Okay. Okay. So everyone raise a hand. (laughs) I raised two. A hand. Okay. (laughs) One or two, whichever you prefer. Put her finger down if you had constitutional rights in 1776. <laughs> Do you like that? <laughs> looky, 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 because <laughs> the way it's set up for someone like me, at, oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> to even get a foundation of how this started, we have to thank the leaking of the opinion from the Supreme Court. Um, I don't know. Have you read a whole lot about it or we kind of get the gist of what that initial opinion piece was? Yeah, when it happened, it happened like while I was awake too late. And so when I was digesting whatever news was coming out and like, obviously, these people haven't read all 98 pages, but they had a lot of thoughts because I think people have been ready for this for a minute. Um, It made me stay up for more hours. I was like, this is happening. This is really happening. One, the decision, and we'll get to that in a minute, but two, or the the alleged decision, the draft of the decision. And then two, the leak, a leak from the Supreme Court. Like that just seems so, I don't know. um, Opportune. Everything, everything um, that has happened in politics post like 2000, well, let's be honest, since like 2000 um, has been really weird, but especially since 2016. And it just gets weirder and weirder as we go on. And I wonder if this leaked draft is to soften a blow to ready people, or if it was kind of like a, 
get ready, get your defenses ready because this is coming type thing. I don't know what direction it was supposed to go in, but I think it was deliberate. And yeah, it's been it's been wild. It's a lot. I think it's deliberate also, but for different reasons. And mm-hmm. I realize that we're even doing a podcast episode about it. It's kind of like, you know, something that happens and it's like a current event and we get into it. But also like, I wonder what they're hiding. Like mm-hmm. they threw a ball one place. We're supposed to be looking somewhere else. So what aren't we seeing? That's what I want to know. Like, is that going to come to light? Maybe there's nothing. Maybe this is me creating my own little conspiracy theory. But I feel like there's something that they're trying to divert our attention from by leaking this. There's no reason to think that that would be a wrong thought. (laughs) Just based on our world and how media is used. So... So essentially what Alito said, um, this kind of breaks it down um, in that opinion piece, is that if it's a right that doesn't have a historical basis, then you don't have a right for it. You don't have a right to it. And who had rights in 1776? (laughs) Not me, not you, Jonathan, Mm -mm. definitely not. Sarah and Becky and whoever's like Mm-mm. backing this whole thing. Anything that wasn't originally there, like it's not about you. So women voting, not happening. Black people voting, not happening. Black people being considered a citizen, definitely not happening. None of that was around, quote unquote, historically when the constitution was written. So let's focus on the rights to privacy. Um, and what that means. But before that we do that, let's kind of start at the beginning. So prior to the American Revolution in the late 1700s, no distinct American legal system existed. Each colony operated independently. Criminal codes, punishments, and courts varied from colony to colony. By the time of the revolution, reformers wanted to establish a more unified and professional legal system, with the country's founders crafting a constitution for the new nation. A unique opportunity was presented to not only provide uniformity, but also to make sure the colonists' hard-won liberties would not be lost to the new federal and state governments. The U.S. Constitution gave the federal government specific powers. The founders believed that by limiting the powers to the Bill of Rights adopted in 1791, spelled out the protections in the criminal justice system for citizens. That's from the National Archives and Records Administration. Individual liberties would be adequately protected. As the various states met to vote on adopting and um, drafted constitution, people demanded their liberties and protections in the criminal justice process to be specifically listed. They feared that as the federal government grew over time, individual liberties would gradually disappear. So I understand that to be, hey, each colony, maybe in this case, if we think about it, about each state, they're doing things differently. So again, going back to the whole very like high likelihood of Roe v. Wade being overturned. That's a problem because when that is overturned, you know, the um, the Supreme Court, those rulings supersede what's happening in the states. So then if each individual state has different rules and regulations for about, you know, abortion or will get into sodomy and gay marriage, et cetera, those are things that the states would decide, which... I don't understand why 
Mm. When I don't know, I just that doesn't resonate with me. And maybe there's something that could click, but that doesn't make sense to me because all of these rights that could be overturned from whether that's the state or the federal government, that's that doesn't compute. Like just leave people alone. <laughs> that would be so cute if the government really believed that leaving people alone was even an option. But I think that when it comes down to laws, and I do not claim to even be a scholar or no. like someone who even pays enough attention to have an educated viewpoint, but this is just what I've gleaned from learning what I've learned through honestly walking past the TV at this point because I can't sit down. But um, what I've kind of gleamed is that these, you know, law and morality go hand in hand and we just move with the times, right? And so it seems like for the most part, as new laws and new liberties and new bills are introduced, we're kind of working on expanding the rights and expanding whatever the limits that have been put on the people in the jurisdiction are. So whether that be gays can be married, uh, whether that be people who um, don't wanna have babies are able to safely terminate that pregnancy, these things are to widen the scope of what is possible for an American. But if you follow the trend of popular moral consensus, um, you hear the term the silent majority, and that's yeah. attributed to people who follow the GOP. And those are the people who are in these courthouses and in these seats in our in our government that are making a lot of plays. Um, so again, these are people who would have had rights back when the country was founded. The people who aren't going to marry same sex. So they have no clue what the hell that even means or what that constitutes. And these are people who, for the most part, will not ever be pregnant and have to worry about terminating and how that could be done. What I really want to say is that men need to, I don't know if I saw this or if I just thought of it because it rhymes, but regulate where you ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm going to trademark that. I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> so now let's just tie how Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned will affect the rest of you who only believe Roe v. Wade is about abortion. We watched uh, this documentary called 13th on Netflix. Um, it's described as a thought-provoking documentary. Scholars, activists, and politicians analyze the criminalization of African-Americans and the U.S. prison boom. So there's commentary and insight from people like Angela Davis, Brian Stevenson, Michelle Alexander, Stephen Colbert, and Cory Booker. And I watched this documentary a couple years ago. I feel like it was right in this wake of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests and, you know, that overtook the world. Um, so back in 2020, and that's also when Netflix shifted um, to include the Black Lives Matter collection. Mm. I don't know if you've kind of noticed that. Um, so that was put together, and that's where you can find this documentary. So the tie-in here is, you know, as we think about how back in the day, abortion was legal, um, except for enslaved women. Um, and they, you know, pretty much just saw us as property, as breeding vessels. And now there's this argument about how abortion um, 
they're trying to recriminalize it uh, because they think that white people feel like they're becoming a minority race, which I think is a really interesting take. Yeah. Um, right. And so, you know, part of this too is that there are um, just number to number, there are more white women who get abortions, not by percentage, but by number of people um, in part you know, maybe because they're also more likely to be able to afford it, et cetera. And so um, what I also think is interesting is like this whole formula shortage. So it's like Republicans voting against funding the baby formula shortage, but then also they're like, but you better have that baby. Like you, you, you can't have it both ways. So we've got all of these things on the line, um, you know, how abortion can make you now a criminal. And then we also, you know, talk about how the way that you like to have sex, who you want to marry, et cetera. These are all making you possibly into the criminal that um well frankly turns you back into an enslaved person thanks to the 13th amendment easily and to the um to that to the uh, formula shortage really quick which i'm not fully i don't fully understand how there's a shortage or why um but what what gets me is one now we're trying to enforce people having babies. It was like, do you not understand that there are people who have children who no one in the family could even produce milk? Because like in my mind, I was thinking, well, if my husband and I had a kid, we wouldn't have, you know, a lot of people are saying just breastfeed as if that's even easy, like as if that's like right. something that people can just waltz in and out of casually. Turn on the tap. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but then I think about these yeah. uh, people, like if there was a queer couple that just adopted, like, what are they going to do? <laughs> like, if they even have the means to do like this is, do you understand the cause of this? I mean, this part could be edited out, but I just don't know what the, why there's a shortage and why there's not going to be any help for it. Yeah, I had to look it up myself. Um, so there's this baby uh, baby formula shortage because there's a huge recall of formula by a top U.S. producer. And then also the problem is that it's compounded by the supply, supply chain problems caused by the pandemic, which we've seen across so many different industries yeah. with supply chain issues, just like when we were at let's just call it the bread company, right. <laughs> you know? So um, all of that is coming together and creating um, issues with providing formula. And if it were as easy as like turning on a tap, and this is coming from a woman who breastfed her baby for, I think he was about 14 months, almost 15 months. Um, it's not easy, you know? And I was definitely very grateful and thankful that I was able to produce and my body went with it. Uh, but I also know that's not the case for a lot of women. And then obviously you also have the extra layer of, um, families who adopt, um, whether that be a queer family or, you know, heterosexual, anyone who adopts, like they need to feed their baby yeah. and babies need formula. If the mother can't or doesn't want to produce, um, there are some women who don't want to breastfeed, so be it. Um, and then also like if, I don't know. You want to keep your baby alive. Like oh <laughs> this is how it works, right? Marriage, right? Or right. like how you have sex. Like why would that be considered something that could be illegal? I think it comes down to morality. So when we were kind of talking about um, 
Roe v. Wade and just <laughs> how crazy it is that it is being possibly being overturned. Um, I started looking up old old Supreme Court uh, cases that have been overruled. And there's a lot of them, but there are also landmark cases, just like Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade. And obviously the ones that strike a chord with me are the ones that relate to gay folks. And so uh, Bowers versus Hardrick uh, was a case that, (laughs) the story is sick. Uh, A police officer saw through the window of a man's house that he was having gay sex. Mm-hmm. He then had complete legal right to a, to arrest him because of this act happening. Didn't matter if it was in his house or whatever. Um, the courts, you know, went up all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 1986, Supreme Court went ahead and sided with the cop that sodomy is illegal. And so domino effect, sodom, sodomy is illegal gay then you know it started to be talked about as uh disorder you know mm. that is following the trends of morality and moral thinking this is also during the time of vatican ii uh in the catholic church i just know that from going to catholic church um when people were there was some modernization going on however comma we're really never going to mess with the gays. You know what I mean? Like we're really, that's not really going to go down. And since the Catholic church has such a wide range of power and money and connection, that morality seeps into so many things like television, uh, Mm -hmm. music, um, morality laws, like even in Hollywood where we had the, um, oh goodness, the Hayes codes where you couldn't even show people of different races kissing you know these things stem from and i don't want to i don't want to crap on religion but it does often correlate you know maybe it's not the cause we can we can understand that and be mature about that but it often ties and so when you think about something like being gay and living fully uh -uh. like (laughs) we're not doing that because the book said and when you think about the idea of terminating a pregnancy for whatever reason, right. uh-uh, because I guess thou shalt not kill unless it's the death penalty, which in that case, it's fine. They just re-legalize. That's yeah. not the word. <laughs> Again, not a scholar, but they, um, they're they reinstating um, firing squad as a method for capital punishment. Mm. But thou shalt not kill though. Right. Anyway, that's why. I'm sorry. Such a such a long answer, but I just obviously have been thinking about this. I think the thing, obviously, since Roe v. Wade is out in the forefront right now, it is abortion, abortion, abortion is the mm-hmm. thought. But in my mind, because I'm someone who is affected by these domino effects, I think about, and I guess we'll land on abortion. We'll use abortion as a sure. as a guide. But um, if it becomes a state mandated thing. Like these are our laws, just like it is in Texas, who has a heartbeat bill. Idaho is there now too. I don't know if I told you. Yep. Six weeks. Yep. Uh, From the last period. It's six weeks from the last known period, which. Right. Wouldn't even make it to the doctor's office in that time. Like, I'm sorry to hear that. That's. I'm pretty sure like, and I might, um, I don't think I have it wrong. I'm pretty sure it models pretty much exactly the same as what Texas did. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Not shocking. No. Not shocking. It's just really depressing. Yeah. But also since it is state mandated, like I'm in St. Louis, so I'm 30 minutes away from crossing over into Illinois and Illinois is so blue and they are going to be protecting abortion laws so that, you know, people might go from Missouri to Illinois to get their uh, procedures done. But the fear is that because of the laws, when they come back to Missouri, they might be a criminal. Like it's Mm. basically a slave fugitive laws, like fugitive Mm. slave laws rather. It's 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 a domino effect that will happen here. You know, well, I think part of another domino that you can throw in there too is what happens to the people who are you know looking to get an appointment in Illinois when you have so many people coming from Missouri, and right. what are they just going to like keep heading east or you yeah. know south, or maybe they need to go west? Like, how does that span beyond the state that? you know, has it illegal to get an abortion, um, at any time, basically like that's, that's something else to think about. It's really, uh, and we were talking about this before we started recording. It's really about the privacy of someone's medical decisions, like someone being able to make a choice on their own without interference from the government Mm -hmm. in any way, you know, and this would fall under that. And now it's being, now it's being uh, encroached on because of morality and because of that emotional play from the other side mm-hmm. where there's some sort of uh, there's probably going to be a birth defect that isn't going to be life threatening to either, you know, the parent or the child, but it will create some strain on the family financially. It'll maybe produce some sort of living pain, some chronic pain, whatever. And you find it early enough that you can make a decision about how you want to proceed. What happens then? We just... It's still like, in a sense, it's almost like, and this is for, this is uh, being devil's advocate. That's like eugenics, right? So what are we just going to have like a really pure population of only healthy people? Like, or, you know what I'm saying? So we only have services for them. You know, it's like, they're just completely, because then the other thing is that once we have these babies, like if my mother had me and kept me, she would be a 14 year old mother with zero resources. And then I'd probably, you know, I'm going to be dramatic about it, but I could end up in a situation where then I'm houseless and then I can't even live in a tent in an encampment without being pushed out by my mayor every three months, you know, it's like, so then we don't even take care of the people who we have forced into the world. Right. Unless they lie and say that it was, it was born of, you know, whatever things that you accept in your state as a reason. It's just, I just think it's all ridiculous. Like so many of my friends have been saved by that option and that availability to do things safely. You know what I mean? The thing is that they're not going to stop abortion. Like even if they criminalize it or whatever, whether your states are for it or not, they're just going to make people go other places and have one unsafely. And that's going to affect the people that don't have means and resources more, which more than likely will be people of color or black people specifically. Mm -hmm. And then the the thing that stands out about all of this, uh, all of it, from the 13th to even just thinking about the things that I would have been locked up for uh, over time, it always falls down to the people with the least means. 
to be able to get out of their situation. Like the people, like I could think of loopholes for some situations, right? Like, oh, well, I won't have to interact with this because we'll just pay for it. You know what I mean? Whatever. But there are people who literally cannot figure out what they're going to eat for dinner tonight because they don't have, they don't have it. They don't, they don't have it. They don't have something to get it with. They don't have food to work with. They ha- they don't have it. And so then we're going to start seeing with the shortage, if we're not already seeing it, people who turn to stealing it because it's already expensive. So now right. we got to get it because the infant needs it because I can't produce it. So then we get into stealing. And if they already don't have money for the formula, then <laughs> you think they have bail money? Do you think they have the, you know, the way to navigate a legal system to ex- even explain themselves? And do you really think that people would care? Like, absolutely not. These are the people who force them to have the baby in the first place. Exactly. And you know, as we talk about getting into the legal system and you know becoming incarcerated or. Um, uh, the United States. So again, y'all, we watched Thirteenth on Netflix, and um, it's a really good documentary. I'm glad that you know even to watch it for that second time. But um, it's focused on the Thirteenth Amendment that you know famously you know freed the enslaved people back in the day. However, there is a one little pesky clause that said neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States. That is in the 13th Amendment. So what happens now when we have people being locked up um, for various crimes, whether, you know, let's say for future, that is because you decide to get an abortion, you know, you go to a different state where maybe it's legal, you go back to your state where it's illegal. Are you going to be incarcerated for that? Um, Do you even have the means to pay for bail? You have that option of what it looks like to do a plea plea bargain, or are you going to go to trial where most people don't go to trial, right? So then you're stuck into that system and how that relates to becoming an enslaved person again is in the way that frankly, prisoners or those that are incarcerated are creating a lot of the goods that we all consume today. In the documentary, they mentioned um, (laughs) Idaho potatoes coming from Idaho, Uh, like so many things that they are forced to do essentially for nothing right so once again they become an enslaved person yes and that to some people is kind of nice right because now we can run down to target you know and get our little items and they've been put to work and they've been made useful for the world and it's disgusting you know it's just it's just there's just this unavoidable sadness that surrounds this all. So I, f- I feel like I'm a little bit uh, less optimistic throughout it through and through, but watching the documentary, it was basically what I understood of the world already that, you know, one obstacle gets cleared, whoop, got another one, not even a problem. This is what we do. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, it's just, once you get in the system, you can't get out. Um, I remember Mm -hmm. growing up with the three strikes you're out rule. I remember hearing that a lot. I remember growing up with uh, the just say no program and hearing, Mm -hmm. you know, 
tough on crime or war on drugs or whatever and understanding how coded that was when I was right. a person. So imagine being in the system and having this be talked about you as a prisoner, as a slave and having no means of defense, like basically right. having no advocacy whatsoever because there was a war on you and they won, you know? And how did we get that war? It's thanks to President Nixon, who basically like coined the war on drugs, which really was just targeting Black people. Um, and really, they used the news a lot to manipulate and enforce this um, or emphasize the association with Black people, right? So it's like running the same clip over and over again because this just so happened to be a Black person that was getting arrested or, you know, whether they committed a crime or not. And really just painting this picture of Black people being... Um, they're, they're villainizing us. Yeah, That's what they did. So what I really thought was interesting um, and kind of appreciated as the documentary went along was how they started in the 70s and 80s, et cetera, um, as this war on drugs was, you know, unfolding and um, how it was really in, in, in the system going from about 357,000 people incarcerated in 1970 and then it just escalates from there so then it went to almost 514,000 in 1980 760,000 in 1985 1,179,000 in 1990 then 2 million in 2000 and then 2.3 million in 2014 what that number is today i'm just going to assume there's probably at least like you know, three or 400,000 more than that. But that is exponentially going up. Yeah. It's, it's exponentially here in St. Louis. We even had, um, uh, jail, I guess you could, you know, it's hard to call them jails when you know that there's corruption within it. It's like, this is, this is more than jail at this point. It's like a plantation. Mm-hmm. you like, that's how I feel when I see it. Yeah. Um, but we had this yeah. whole mu- uh, movement close the workhouse because the conditions in there were awful. Like regardless of the crime that was committed, like if we're supposed to be a somewhat civil society and we have these people who are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, serving their time for the crime that they committed. And this is all done through the justice system. Do we really have them in St. Louis where our summers, you know, we have summer days where it feels like 108 because of the humidity and stuff in a facility Mm -hmm. that doesn't have any sort of air conditioning, doesn't have any sort of, and they're working to make these products that we're talking about. And, you know, it's just like these people are effectively in the antebellum South like mm-hmm. for real and it's just down the street you know and that that's it's just right. jarring how many of those exist and how many of those workhouses are not even haven't even been identified because you know lips are tight and th- things could be manipulated in the media and so on and so forth and so it's like there's so many stories of so many ways to to push this I don't know, evil agenda. Is that really lazy speak? (laughs) Like it's just evil. No, it's not. It's accurate. It's evil because they're trying to get as much money as possible um, going into the prison system and then being able to export goods 
from the prison system for next to nothing. So part of that, I believe, is it's part of capitalism, no? It's 100% part of capitalism. Um, Right. So trying to keep your expenses down or your costs down so that you can get the most profit possible. To that, to the to capitalism of it all, the part of the documentary that surprised me, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, because I did not watch this when it came out. I actually kind of avoided it um, until we prepared for this. Um, just black fatigue, whatever. Um, yeah, fair. It was uh, the part that was shocking to me, shocking lowercase s, was the involvement of ALEC, which is the American Legislative yeah. Exchange Council that affects actual laws, like it literally helps build laws in the interest of corporations. And, you know, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, that this is happening. And I've only ever worked in big corporations as well. So it's just kind of also embarrassing that you've also somewhat participated in these things. Like, of course, I'm a zillion rungs down from whoever is going to be involved in there. But, you know, there's all this there's all this kind of personal responsibility for the world and to see that it's almost helpless. It's like, well, I got to get gas. And if this gas company is working with Alec, you know, where does it stop? <laughs> like, when does it stop? That's part of the power in how you spend your dollars, right? Yeah. Like, I know we've talked about that before in terms of supporting Black business. Um, but then there's also the other side of that of not supporting those who do harm into the community. And it can be really difficult. Um, I know Walmart was part of the ALEC list. Uh, they did end up withdrawing themselves, especially as ALEC backed the, um, or pre- pretty much formed the Stand Your Ground um, legislation or stand your ground um, laws to be passed, um, particularly in Florida, where Trayvon Martin was killed, and you know, basically getting his murderer off, although he shouldn't have been. So um, I remember when I saw the documentary the first time, I was like, "Oh my goodness, State Farm is on mm. there!" And I've had State Farm for years, mm. and even as I rewatched the documentary, it brought me back to that time where I was like thinking about. Um, changing my insurance to a different company or even calling like what I now have is USAA um, for some other policies and, you know, banking, things like that. And um, knowing, wondering if they participate in ALEC or if like their executives or whoever are part of this whole ALEC board. Um, Thinking that my power lies in where I'm getting my life insurance or house insurance and or home insurance, et cetera. So uh, I definitely looked into that myself too, to see how I'm accidentally supporting things that can harm our community. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at a list right now and I don't know how current it is um, when the last update was, but it's kind of those places that are, are unavoidable. One of them being Pfizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay i have the vaccine <laughs> Great. and i'm a moderna girl but still like if if the next booster is pfizer and that's the only one then what do i do you know yeah but it's not up to me it, it it's not it, it's just not it's i don't know <laughs> I, I wish i had optimism you know that's usually what i lean on but when it comes to the justice system and actual justice for human beings, it's it's bleak out here. 
you know i don't think that people mm-hmm. really care if if people die at all as long as it's not that i don't think so i would definitely be arrested for living my life right now um anytime before 1967 and probably way after that because it wasn't until 1967 that loving v virginia happened which made it legal for interracial couples to marry um mm-hmm. definitely Same. definitely going to the pokey for poking uh for sodomy i mean that wasn't even <laughs> legal for me until 2003 where lawrence v uh lawrence v texas overturned bowers v hardwick and bowers v hardwick was the case where the man was being spied on by police officers having sex inside of his own home and it went all the way to the supreme court and they're like yeah no we're that you know georgia has a sodomy law and they're going to keep their sodomy law didn't get overturned till 2003 like beyonce had merch by 2003 like that's crazy um i would definitely be fired um from my job if it weren't for the acts of it was 1996 where romer v evans protected gay people from discrimination which i'm gonna put uh, protected in quotes because I know that the same year the Boy Scouts of America up, upheld a law that protects private institutions and they can go ahead and, and fire you. And I think that the Boy Scouts actually started accepting uh, queer folks in 2013. However, that's not across the board. So these other places are still protected and you can still get ousted if they find out um, that you don't about, you know, you don't live in the way that their value set, you know, states. Um, I couldn't be married at all before 2015. Um, I actually started dating my husband in 2015. (laughs) So, or yeah, much way before um, the Supreme Court legalized it. So for all of my life up until then, even getting married wasn't even an option you know, especially in the U.S. Um, In 2013, there were moves made because there was a lesbian couple that came from Canada, moved to the U.S. They weren't recognized because of the Defense of Marriage Act, which is also from 1996. I don't know what the Spice Girls did, but (laughs) the girls were mad. Um, But they uh, put into law that marriage between a man and a woman. And so because of that language, these women were not allowed to be married in the US. So the ball really got rolling when they came in. They're like, you yeah, know, we've been married. Like, <laughs> this is weird. Y'all are weird. And we're married. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of my, I mean, that's that's just the gay stuff, right? <laughs> like yeah. a lot of the reasons why I can be who I am are really recent. And they also are changing because laws and morality go hand in hand the times change Mm -hmm. the court changes as we are seeing and you know some of these things might be stripped away i think that maybe um being grandfathered in is is helpful but what happens if we want to adopt kids and there's something Mm -hmm. going on where well you're not married legally you know for this adoption you know these little things just pop into my head and make me really paranoid and I think it's a paranoia that I've always had just from being black in the U.S. like why would I think that things would work out in my way that's crazy well part of that protection is because of Roe v. Wade correct Mm. where it's protecting the right to 
privacy essentially is how the Supreme Court, you know, read that legislation or um, how they deemed it as a right to privacy under the under the 14th Amendment. Okay, so the 14th Amendment addresses many aspects of citizenship and the rights of citizens. The most commonly used and frequently litigated phrase in the amendment is equal protection of the laws, which figures prominently in a wide variety of landmark cases, including Brown versus Board of Education for racial discrimination, Roe v. Wade for reproductive rights, Bush v. Gore for election recounts, Reed versus Reed, gender discrimination, and University of California versus Bake or Bach racial quotes quotas in education. Although the U.S. Constitution does not explicitly state that there is a right to privacy, Supreme Court decisions have found an implicit constitutional right to privacy in striking down laws that criminalize criminalize sodomy, the use of contraceptives, and abortion. Oh my God, Griswold versus Connecticut. It was a couple that wanted to use birth control. That's what it was. It was a couple that wanted to use birth control because they didn't want to have kids. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and it falled, it fell under the 14th Amendment, um, which says that privacy is a liberty. But I think it's interesting also is that, uh, you know, part of the protections here are uh, having access to birth control. And even a few months ago, I was looking um, to see about maybe getting like a copper IUD because it doesn't dispense hormones. Um because other, like I've had an IUD before after I gave birth to Gray and that was like, I was spotting forever and I didn't, birth control affects me to a way that I, I don't like it. Like it's not worth it, um, to be on it to me. So I was like, well, let me look at the copper IUD and, um, at least there are no hormones. There is a side effect of, um, having some like bloating or maybe salt retention. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is gain weight, but like, fine. Like, let's just, you know, we'll just see how it goes. Worst case scenario, I take it out after, you know, a few months or something. And, um, so I check my health insurance, um, to see if it's covered because I didn't even think about that. I was like, of course it's covered. Like, and then, you know, the doctor's office was like, you need to make sure that, um, your IUD is covered under your health insurance. And so I look and lo and behold, what wasn't covered birth control. And I was like, Oh, who knew, right? So not only uh, do I, you know, sure, could I have access if I maybe go get a pill or something like that for somewhere else? I don't, I'm sure Planned Parenthood could probably accommodate, um, but it's still hundreds of dollars. Like these things aren't cheap. It's that in and of itself is an investment as well. So it's <laughs> like, they can't have it both ways. You can't tell me that I don't have a right to my body when it literally affects no one else. And then also if, you know, I'm taking additional measures outside of condoms to protect myself, I can't do that either in an efficient way. If, you know, there's gay marriage um, that's protected essentially under that, under the, um, the reading that privacy is part of that, that's up to you, right? Like that's up to who you want to marry. That has nothing to do with anybody else. Um, the way that you want to have sex. And let's be very clear. Gay men are not the only men that like to have anal. Right. Right. Like, not the only people who like to have anal. Not the only people. Right. Yeah. Let's just, okay. like, just call it what it is. Okay. Okay. So let that be on the table because they want to, you know, overturn um, Roe v. Wade and then how that could seep into 
other pieces of your rights to privacy and things like that, or, you know, how um, your privacy is protected. There's so much more that is on the table for people who are so against it. It's just like, just you wait and see what happens. And you're going to be picking some potatoes too for nothing. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> making driver's license or making license plates and stuff. Oh my God. Right. It's, um, I think because I don't know a lot about the legal system at all, um, a lot of my thoughts on it are based in paranoia and fear. And I think mm. that that's played too by media. You know, it's like, well, they don't, they don't really know how this works. <laughs> they don't know why this is here. Let's just say words and let this build. And sometimes that's for good because it gets people interested in the in the case and gets them to learn more. Or in my case, it gets them to to kind of cower and close their eyes and ears and hope that someone else is doing something good because I'm scared. You know, <laughs> like I have things to lose. And um, now with Roe v. Wade, there's there's a lot to lose, you know, not specifically to me, but for a lot of people that I care about. Maybe part of that paranoia is because you know that as a black queer male, you have had your rights having to be um, brought to court, right? You have to, we have a history of having to fight for human rights, which is crazy because we're humans fighting for human rights. It just doesn't make sense, but that's what's happening. And so maybe that's part of where your, you know, fright or paranoia comes from. Yeah. It's simply that. And, you know, there's just this very real thing that I know that if I did end up in the legal system, there are, there are advantages that I'll have that will never supersede my blackness and my queerness and I'm a black man so we're not even getting Mm -hmm. into what your experience could be in the legal system because it's like you're a black woman I already don't want I don't want to hear anything you got to say you know what I mean like you already bottom bottom of the line like you you Mm -hmm. do you know they they it's like uh being part of a freaking chessboard and just being a pawn you know Exactly. Mm. Part of why so many people were um, then incarcerated after the whole, the Nixon war on crime and then Reagan really made it like a literal war instead of just coining the phrase as Nixon did. Um, And so, like you mentioned with the Just Say Say No campaign by by Nancy Reagan. um, And then in 1994, you have Bill Clinton's horrific crime bill which got more people arrested, which definitely targeted the black and brown communities. And, you know, this can definitely snowball into all of the other issues that we have seen um, in our communities as well. Not all of them. I don't want to make it seem like we're all just living in poverty. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, But, you know, why that then allows the media to focus on those people. And that's clearly all that we can ever accomplish. Mm -hmm which is not the case. Uh, And part of uh, one of the statistics from the documentary, they mentioned that one in three black men and one in 17 white men will be incarcerated in their lifetime, which is 
crazy because going back to the plea deal, it's like one of the um, one of the narrators mentioned that the prosecutor will be like, okay, so I'll give you a plea deal. If you plead guilty, you'll get three years. But if you want to go to trial, then you'll get 30 years. And who's going to want to go to trial if you're going to get 10 times that sentence? I will say I probably don't want to do that. However, <laughs> I'm going to also say, ideally, I'm not in that situation um, to even have to make that incredibly life-changing decision. And let's not forget the people who have to make that decision surrounding a crime that they know that they didn't even commit. Exactly. And they still have to commit to their three years in prison and they have mm-hmm. an eight-month-old. And they didn't do anything. Right. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong skin color. It's baffling to me. And it's also um, a well-oiled manipulation machine. You know, yeah, they're going to take mm-hmm. the plea deal, of course, and put them in the private prison, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. We can make money off of that. It's insane. <sighs> History is not just stuff that happens by accident. We are the product of the history that our ancestors chose if we're white. If we're Black, we're the product of the history our ancestors most likely did not choose. Yet here we all are together, products of that set of choices, and we have to understand that in order to escape from it. Kevin Gannon, professor of history at Grandview University. We appreciate y'all for joining us each and every month. If you think that more people can benefit from this conversation, please be sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to Now We Know wherever you listen. You can find me on Instagram at Donna Janine, or if you want to drop us a note, any feedback or maybe suggestions on people that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.